Well, hi everyone. Uh, it's Steve Bell here, and I'm speaking with um, who have I got on the other line here in Brisbane? It's Aaron Anderson in Brisbane. So Aaron and I are both uh, partners here at Freehills who specialise in work, health, and safety issues. Um, so what's today's podcast about, Aaron? What are we What are we going to cover? Steve, today we're going to look at this industrial manslaughter offence that we've got in Queensland and the ACT and that more broadly is being considered across the jurisdictions in Australia. So um, I guess we can can cover three things today. Uh, I guess it would be helpful for people to know where where are we up to right now. We're here in uh, late May 2019. There's a lot of talk about uh, the introduction of these laws. It might be useful to know where, where we're up to. Um, I guess then we can have a chat about where we're going. There's some pretty clear reform proposals. And there are, and I suppose the, the best thing to do then is to talk about what's next and, and if the laws are introduced, what does it mean across Australia? Yeah, I think that's right, Steve. I think we can sort of um, have a look at the experience in Queensland since 2017 and see whether that's created any change in the way that um, regulators are behaving or organisations are behaving and see what that might look like going forward. Yeah, look, that, that, I mean, that interests me. Is, has, it, has it changed? What's your perception of, of the level of interest in this since the laws came in for you guys in Queensland, you know, a year or so ago? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, it certainly generated a lot of work um, from a legal perspective. People um, certainly became interested in trying to understand this industrial manslaughter offence. Um, and let's not forget that it followed the tragic incidents at Dreamworld and at Eagle Farm in 2016. So there was a lot of publicity around those incidents and also then the introduction of the new laws. But I think where the rubber hits the road is really around that sort of middle management um, and then to the upper levels of management um, who are asking questions about what it means for them, given uh, the sort of definition of who a senior officer is and the potential for that definition to apply more broadly than what we're traditionally seeing in terms of the definition of um, an officer under WHS regime. So there's certainly a lot of um, interest in understanding what it means. Um, And I think uh, from that perspective, at least people are talking about safety uh, and um, and turning their minds to um, what they might need to do moving forward. So it sounds like those changes were were pretty reactionary to, to, you know, quite specific events in in that jurisdiction that obviously had, you know, appalling and, and tragic consequences but but I wonder if they represent the best available model going forward nationally and we'll come I guess to the to the reforms how, how, how do they work up there what who are the people who could as human beings be prosecuted with industrial manslaughter how, how's it work yes yeah, so um, in Queensland the industrial manslaughter offence sits within the Work Health and Safety Act. Uh, So that's the way that it was designed. Um, And it's an offence only, so it doesn't create any new duty. Uh, So what we're dealing with here is a situation uh, whereby you must have a number of threshold um, matters that must be overcome before someone might be exposed to a potential prosecution. Uh, And firstly, it requires um, a death of a worker. Uh, it's interesting that this arose out of, you know, the tragic circumstances at Dreamworld uh, and people were talking about how industrial manslaughter is an appropriate response uh, to but, that But, of course, the, the people who lost their lives, they weren't, weren't workers, were they? They were, they were exactly, just members of the public. Steve. 
it's an it's it's an interesting conundrum, and and I'd be interested in your views uh, as to what's going on in Victoria because I understand there's um, uh, you know a recent uh, report that's been published. There's a lot of talk in Victoria about um, whether the laws should be introduced and what it might look like, and whether that might be extended to uh, uh, beyond what we've got here in Queensland. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the Victorian position, and probably where we're going to end up nationally. And possibly what might happen in Queensland, if if you were a betting person, would be to suggest that, that that will change. I don't think the future laws will be narrowly defined to only relate to deaths of workers. Um, and I just think about the the political rhetoric that's gone around the proposals to introduce the laws here in Victoria. There's been references to you know similar incidents that have occurred down here um, that have included. Uh, fatalities uh, involving non-workers. Uh, so I, I, I get the strong sense that the the kind of narrow cast uh, definition in, in Queensland is going to be expanded, possibly even in Queensland, uh, but certainly across Australia with, with the reforms that are coming up. And Steve, what's your views then um, on the Marie Boland report? So this is a a report that was published now a few months ago, maybe maybe four or five months ago. So Marie um, was one of the contributing uh, authors to the original Work Health and Safety Act. She she did the review, you know, in, in the early 2000s that led to the drafting of uh, the model Work Health and Safety Law, the law that applies across all the jurisdictions except, as it happens, my home state of Victoria. Um, and she did a 10-year review recently and has, and has published that report that report does lots of things. It, it suggests a number of different changes to the Work Health and Safety Act, kind of beefing up inspectors' powers, uh, extending rights of, of union entry, uh, fixing up a few anomalies uh, associated with uh, the rights of health and safety reps and others. So it's a pretty expansive report, a fascinating read for, for the probably dozen or so people in Australia who've actually read it cover to cover, you and I, of course, Aaron, being two of, of those. Um but, but one of the critical, I think, headline recommendations of her report is that we nationalise the introduction of industrial manslaughter. The, the, the author, Marie Boland, has got a couple of reasons for that, but the primary reason, she says, is, look, it's going to happen anyway. Um, and, and the whole point of health and safety reform was to make the laws harmonise. They should look the same across all the Australian jurisdictions. And if we let each state and territory introduce their own uh, version of manslaughter offences into the Work Health and Safety Act... Uh, will end up with something that looks like a bit of a hodgepodge. Uh, and so her recommendation is that there should be a single model. Um, her, her proposals for that model, Aaron, are, 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 are you know, reasonably clear in her report. One, she says we, we shouldn't narrowly uh, define um, the people whose death could give rise to that offence as just being workers. It should include members of the public. It should include non-workers. And, and it's interesting you make that point. She expressly refers to, to Dreamworld there. She also has some thoughts about who should be captured by these laws. What, who's, who's caught by the laws in, in Queensland? It's not just company officers, is it? They've, you've got your own definition in that, in that state. Yeah, we do. Um, it's um, a definition that's used in legislation as a senior officer. Uh, and so in Queensland, someone could be a senior officer uh, if they fit within the more traditional test of someone who's an executive um, and you know, sort of sits at the, the top end of the organisation and is involved in executive decision making, but also Steve extends uh, to people um, who sort of are involved in making decisions affecting um, the you know the organisation itself. So sort of it seems to extend down to um, you know people in management roles that wouldn't otherwise be caught within the definition of who an executive is. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. 
uh, over time. And of course, it's, and is, it, um, is it fair to say there's a bit of confusion about who that? It sounds like kind of three definitions layered on top of each other: officer, executive officer, senior officer. It's not. It's not pristine drafting. Is it fair to say? <laughs> That's a good observation, uh, and certainly created uh, a, a lot of questions in people's minds about uh, where the line is drawn. If in fact you can draw a line. Um, under those people in organisations who might fall within the definition of who a senior officer is. So it's certainly, I think, confusing for business, uh, confusing for people in management roles to understand whether, in fact, they might fall within that definition, Uh, and certainly something from a drafting perspective um, as part of this national review that that could could well be considered and, in my view, should be considered to provide further clarity. Yeah. So, 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 you know, the the Boland Review, which is a... A recommendation for changes across all the jurisdictions that have model model work health and safety laws says we should tighten that up. We, we should make that definition an officer in the ordinary way, the, the Corporations Act way. But I, I, I wonder about that. I can't see the rationality for imposing this special duty uh, or this special offence, as you, as you say, not a duty, um, in relation to manslaughter. Why would it be limited to company officers? If any human being in an organisation is reckless or, or grossly negligent and causes the death of somebody else, why should they escape sanction because of their position title? I, I can't understand why you would narrow it at all. Um, and I guess that might speak perhaps to some of the political overlay with the introduction of these laws. Am I being too controversial? No, it's a good point. And look, let's face it, um, outside of the work health and safety regime, uh, there's general criminal laws and uh, there's no reason why individuals involved in work activities, if they are grossly negligent, can't be prosecuted under those laws, and they are, Steve. Mm. And uh, that kind of goes to the second point, doesn't it, of, of what is the need here? You know, what is the legislative need? What is the hole to be filled with these laws? In truth, there possibly isn't one. Well, it's a good point, isn't it? I mean, one of the interesting aspects of the laws is that they introduce an offence that can be attributed to the organisation itself. Ah, right. So um, suddenly we've got a situation whereby uh, historically certain individuals have been charged under um, criminal legislation arising out of workplace conduct, uh, whereby in Australia that conduct hasn't been able to be attributed to the organisation itself under the criminal laws. Uh, and now we've got a regime in Queensland um, whereby a person conducting a business or undertaking, now the legal duty holder under the model regime, uh, can be um, charged with an offence of industrial manslaughter. So that would be a company, uh, a business could be prosecuted with these offences too? It would be a business, Steve. And so the interesting aspect of that is um, how is a business charged with a criminal offence of industrial manslaughter and what conduct is to be attributed to the business? And I'd be interested in your views on that. Well, I mean, it's a. Uh, um, I guess we should make the point. This 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 debate about industrial manslaughter has been going on for a while now. There's there's a there's a case in Victoria that goes as far back as 1995. You know, the the first year of Seinfeld, I suspect, uh, where the Supreme Court here was grappling with whether a company called AC Hattrick, which I thought was a great name, um, could be prosecuted with industrial manslaughter. They concluded it could, but on that on that particular case, it wasn't guilty of that offence. Um, but, but again, there's a, there's, a, there's a core question here, I suppose. What, what's the hole that we're filling? But you're, you're probably hitting the nail on the head now that, that this is a chance for those drafting these laws to really clarify how much of the corporate conduct do you have to add up or aggregate um, to prove an offence against the business. Is, is one person failing 
uh, in a grossly negligent way to meet their obligation enough to prosecute a whole company, a brand, uh, a business entity for negligence and manslaughter. And what's interesting in the Boland Review um, and even in what I'm seeing as the consultation papers that have been circulated by the Victorian government is that there is a desire to cast that net pretty broadly. Um, there's, there's language I've seen in some of the consultation materials that suggest that the prosecution of a very, very serious criminal offence could lead evidence of the overarching culture, that, that magic word of the moment, um, culture, of the business to suggest whether that business has committed manslaughter. Um, I, I find that a really interesting question. Um, uh, one, one, I suspect that needs to be kind of carefully considered before we uh, attribute to an entire organisation uh, guilt because of the actions of an individual. We've really got to be, I think, very thoughtful about what that, what that law looks like. Yeah, I think that's right, and time will tell ultimately. Um, Steve, I think um, it might be interesting to examine... From a practical perspective, uh, what organisations might start to do, um, yeah. or, you know, in, in response to this whole discussion, uh, and you know, the likelihood that we're going to get industrial manslaughter laws, presumably, uh, in jurisdictions across Australia. I think they're here to stay in Queensland, that's for sure. So, yeah. what does it mean from a, a from a compliance perspective? What, what do organisations do? Well, I suppose my my thesis is perhaps a bit controversial again. I don't know the introduction of these laws dramatically makes a difference on what somebody would do when they walk into their office on day one of these laws having been introduced than what they would do today. Uh, I, I really think the law already, work health and safety laws, have stiff penalties for those who engage in reckless conduct. Uh, there's, there's Category 1 offences. In Victoria, we've got Section 32 offences. They all amount to the same thing. So from a risk management point of view, I suspect businesses don't need to do a whole lot different to be perfectly honest, uh, with, with the introduction of these laws. But I reckon it's really going to change the complexion of what it looks like after a serious incident, even a near-miss serious incident, in terms of being a very thoughtful at an organisational level about how those incidents are investigated, um, what evidence is available to confirm that the lessons from those incidents have been learned and have been applied, and, and finally to, to kind of really clearly articulate to senior leaders, to officers, um, you know, directors, executives and others about what it is that's expected of them in exercising oversight or due diligence in relation to that. But but I reckon if I was a safety professional, Aaron, would you use this as an opportunity to, to have a discussion with the business again, even if the law doesn't dramatically change what's required? Do, does it actually create an opportunity for the safety professionals? Yeah, no doubts about it, and look, that's the experience that I've had up here in Queensland. Is you know, you know sort of people in management roles uh, have become quite interested in what this industrial manslaughter offence looks like and what it means for them. And so, for someone in a um, safety management role in a business, the safety professionals, it's a real opportunity to use that as a little bit of leverage to get people to sharpen their focus on what safety is all about. And yeah. let's face it, I mean, the legislation. Uh, has some very clear duties, and I think we need to sort of shift our focus again. Um, you know, once we sort of get through um, understanding what industrial manslaughter looks like and what it means, and um, be at least comfortable with the fact that it's there. And as, as we've talked about, uh, in certain circumstances, you know, any individual who engages in gross negligence, um, you know, should be held culpable for that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, organisations need to sort of um, move through that, shift their focus on what's the nature of the duties that they have and the safety regime that governs them and work really hard and be diligent in putting in place practical measures to discharge those duties and keep people safe. 
But aren't we lawyers, Aaron? Aren't we supposed to be creating panic about these these changes and telling everyone they're all going to jail? Isn't that our job? <laughs> oh, look, um, some may wish to do so, Steve. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, you and I are pretty much of the same mind, and that is, you know, we like to look practically at things and provide solutions uh, for our clients and um, others out there in industry, and I really think that's the right approach. Uh, you know, we need to be um, sort of really, really positive and forward-thinking uh, about you know what we need to do to be you know keeping people safe and in my view that's that's focusing on you know the positive duties that we have under the legal regime yeah. and um, what we need to do to discharge the duties. I mean, there's there's so much debate, I suppose, or, or so much publicity around th- these proposed reforms. I I wonder what the pressure will be on health and safety regulators the weeks and months after these reforms have been introduced. So you're, you're in a jurisdiction that doesn't today have an industrial manslaughter offence. We go through a long, extensive consultation process. Government invest, you know, um, heavily in, in, in introducing these laws. Uh, I, I do feel that the regulators will have some degree of expectation placed on them, you know, proper or otherwise, to do something with them, to, to bring manslaughter charges and I suppose for clients, thinking that through and making sure, you know, as you rightly say, Aaron, of course, avoiding deaths at the workplace is, is, is almost the primary responsibility, whether we're having this debate or not. But if, if that does occur, then for, for mine, it is useful to make sure that the business is aware of the, the, the risk to individuals and to itself as a, as a corporate entity. And it's kind of thinking through what the process of responding to the regulatory investigation might look like. And, and I fear, to be honest, that the, the more um, severe the potential penalties for health and safety breaches, the harder it is for businesses to simply learn from incidents or near misses. In, instead, it almost kind of demands, requires a, a legal response, a, a response which in, includes protecting legal interests of people and, and of businesses. And, and for mine, that'll be perhaps an unintended consequence of these, of these reforms. Yeah, you know, they could be somewhat inconsistent, couldn't they, in the sense that, you know, you've, on the one hand, got a, a regime that's focused on duties and people being proactive about discharging those duties by doing certain things at a workplace, and then we introduce industrial manslaughter, and uh, suddenly there's a, you know, there's an incident at a worksite that does result in the death of someone, and you've got an organisation now that is uh, focused uh, very sharply on ensuring that uh, the lawyers are involved, that individuals are protected. Uh, that self-incrimination rights are claimed, uh, and the idea of uh, you know sort of a, a, an open investigation uh, that reveals all of the potential causative factors for the purposes of improving um, and sharing that knowledge and information with regulators, with others in industry, and throughout the business uh, is probably um, you know not going to be the way that organisations will probably respond. a thing of the past. Yeah, uh, if, so, these, if these changes come through. So um, I think you're right. I think at the end of the day, there will be pressure on regulators and they will be looking at this offence and during the course of their inquiries, um, will be seeking to understand whether, in fact, an individual, a senior officer in Queensland um, or the organisation itself, uh, might be uh, sort of subject to a potential prosecution proceeding. And it's really important for organisations to... Uh, ensure that um, they can equip themselves very quickly and adequately in the response to a serious incident should that occur. What's the, what's the consequence in Queensland if, a, if an individual is prosecuted and found guilty? So these are all 
like all health and safety matters, criminal charges, and if, if, if the prosecution is successful in, in meeting their burden, what, what could happen to an individual? Is, is it just a fine? Is that, is that what's at stake in Queensland? No, Steve. So the penalties are quite significant in Queensland, and uh, the maximum imprisonment term that an individual can be exposed to should the prosecution be successful in um, charging and prosecuting an individual for the industrial manslaughter offence is up to 20 years. Yeah, wow. Uh, now, that's a, that's a significant imprisonment term and a significant increase on the current maximum term for reckless conduct, uh, which is a Category 1 offence, uh, which is currently five years. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, Steve, um, in terms of penalties that the organisation might be exposed to, uh, they are now up to $10 million. Wow. Uh, so they're pretty significant in Queensland. What's the current proposal down in Victoria, do you know? Well, there's a bit of, bit of an arms race. Uh, 25 years, that beats 20, and 16 million, uh, which beats 10. Uh, and again, I think this speaks to the political climate in which these changes are being proposed, that there's a race to the top. Who can be the most severe? Which which jurisdiction can have the harshest penalties and the uh, can, can say the most uh, about the consequences for getting this stuff wrong. Again, all of that is is fair enough in the in the most extreme cases that you can see about individual behaviour, where you know you and I both agree p- people should feel the full weight of the law, and probably the law's already equipped to do that. Manslaughter is a crime in every jurisdiction I've ever worked in, um, but this industrial focus, you know, s- serious penalties, sixteen million, I think, is the current tariff that's being proposed in Victoria. So. I reckon that'll change the way businesses respond to incidents, and as we've said, maybe for the better, and perhaps perhaps not. So, what's your what's your take home message, mate? When you when you talk to clients about this, what's the what's the overriding message that you give them? Yeah, that's good. It's a good question, and I think the take home message is really really simple. Um, the laws exist, uh, and um, they are an offence only. Uh, what organisations need to do is remain calm and simply focus on what they do. And it's all about, you know, what are the activities they're engaged in, um, how do those activities relate to the duties they've got under a safety regime, and who has those duties within the organisation, and then how do people go about discharging them. Um, so it's, again, a, a strong focus on officers um, engaging um, with people in the business and understanding what due diligence means and exercising proper governance and oversight uh, and trying really hard to ensure that um, they're satisfied that the organisation um, that's carrying out activities on a day-to-day basis is doing so consistent with its legal obligations, Steve. And I think if officers and people who are in management roles and you know workers within business are, uh, are remaining positive and um, thinking about what it is that they can do to influence safety and working hard to make sure that um, their actions um, aren't going to expose people to risks of harm, then that's where we need to be. And so it's it's business as usual, um, from my perspective. Do you have yeah. a view? Uh, no, I reckon that's right. I, I, I would only add, I suppose, that organisations need to kind of plan for the worst. In, in the event that there is a an un- unforeseen or unpreventable incident which, which results in a, a death of someone connected with that business, a worker or a, a member of the public, um, it's worth having a plan for, for what it is you would do on that day. Um, and that is... Of course, you know, good, good advice for the company. That's what you and I often do day-to-day, Aaron. But thinking as well, more broadly, I think, about who's on tap, who do we know and who do we trust uh, from a legal point of view to look after our people in the event that that was to happen. Do we, do we have a panel of um, individuals 
uh, lawyers who, who could give advice to those human beings, uh, individuals, managers, executive officers, whoever it might be within the company, who might be subject to this sort of heavy criticism and heavy investigation. They're not nice experiences um, to, to go through that sort of level of interrogation by regulators following these incidents. As you say, sometimes rightly so and oftentimes uh, unfairly so. Uh, and so I suppose the, 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 the only thing I would add to what you said, which is, of course, focus on getting it right, managing safety, but that the next, the next level of analysis is what's our, what's our contingency plan? What's, our, what's the other end of the bow tie analysis here? How do we mitigate risk in the event that we haven't been able to eliminate it? And for mine, that is about thinking through, do, do our people know what they can and can't do following an incident? Are they clear on, the, on their rights and their responsibilities um, in terms of the investigation? And, and do we have support on tap for them to understand their, their personal legal rights? Yeah, I think that's sage advice. I mean, we know from our experience in dealing with these sorts of serious incidents over many, many years now, Steve, that regulators uh, get on site really quickly and admissions made in the immediate aftermath of an incident can unfortunately um, turn around to be harmful down the track in legal proceedings. So that's a a really important piece of advice for organisations to think about. All right, well, it's been great, great chatting. I think this this is going to be a debate that is going to go on for, for probably the next 12 months. We'll, we'll have a review process. We're waiting for responses from industry to the Boland review. I know the Victorian government's going through its own process. My guess would be we'll, we'll get change this year in Victoria. I think that's been our government's commitment. Uh, change might be a bit slower on the, on the national stage. We don't need the federal government to change these laws. They're all state-based laws, but we probably do need a bit of federal energy into adopting the recommendations of the Boland Review. So, so no doubt, Aaron, will be talking about this over the course of the rest of the year. But uh, thank, you, thank you for your time today. No doubt, Steve, and good to chat. Thanks, mate. Talk soon. Okay, bye. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.